Hey everybody, welcome to Literary Disco and Lit Hub Radio, episode 187, The Neighbors. Today, for the first time in a while, we will tackle a single short story. We solicited our listeners via social media for a recommendation, and a couple of you directed us to The Neighbors by Shruti Swami, which is available online at Electric Lit, and was published as part of her short story collection, A House is a Body. This is Literary Disco, the last book club you'll ever need. We're Todd, Julia, and Ryder, three old friends who love to read, debate, and sometimes even agree. I am actor and filmmaker Ryder Strong. Joining me, as always, are novelist and critic Todd Goldberg and essayist and radio personality Julia Pistel. Hi, guys. Hey! Hi! Nice to see all of you, now that everything's fine. It's a brave new world. Everything's perfect in the world. Yeah! We got through... So, our last episode, we talked to our our good dear friend George Saunders, who all three of us have been hanging out with a lot. Um, Our best friend. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Last night I was talking to him and just like, you know, we were just sort of bullshitting about our fantasy football league. And, um, you know, it's just so crazy how close we've become. George Saunders in a fantasy football league sounds like a George Saunders short story. (laughs) What does that look like? Uh, It's a post-apocalyptic football team. Uh, Half the team is robots. (laughs) They're playing upside down in space. I I would absolutely read that. Uh, yeah. But our last episode with George, we had uh, our last episode with George is also the name of our new podcast. Um, <laughs> we had just come through uh, a violent insurrection. <laughs> yeah, it's actually been a while. Yeah. We've taken a couple weeks so off. Weeks off. We adjusted to <laughs> but now that uh, the world's better, everything seems fine. I, you know, what's interesting for me is that, and what I have to keep telling, I keep. Going to doom scroll, right? Like going to do the thing that I've been doing for four years. Being dissatisfied by the lack of horrible Trump news yes, to like click I'm on and you. feel the outrage. And then realizing this is my problem and this is the challenge for all of our journalists out there and for our news media. Like we don't want that. Like I'm addicted to it, but but I it's actually better to to not have that. And I'm I actually am going down like Washington Post and New York Times or whatever and clicking on the like fourth rate Trump story just because it's something there. <laughs> Give it to and me. And I realize just to stop. <laughs> just stop. I don't need the fix. Yeah. Like you know, and like the one of the 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 super soothing things I did is like the day after the inauguration, I watched the first press conference. I know. And I just yes, had it played, yes. and I was like, oh, this is just the sound of governance, <laughs> of a, a positive press, you know, spokesperson just talking about normal normal crap and like I, I i've just been realizing like i am so addicted to the like the the adrenaline rush that even the negative adrenaline rush and like i'm trying to just get into the zone of like nope now it's time to start reading more in-depth stories right. about really boring crap and like be okay with that and not need my political news addiction to to inject that fury which i which made me feel righteous, you know, it made me feel in a, in a horrible way good, you know, because it like made me feel like I had a, a, an angle on the world that I could be sort of like determined about. Now it's like time to be determined about things that take a little more yeah. energy, a little more in-depth I'm reading. having the exact same experience. Yeah. And the way I put it to some friends is like, I have to detox from this exact thought. I wonder what Trump thinks about this. Right. <laughs> Like, it actually started with the Twitter ban. I'm like, I need to know what he's saying about this, this, and this happening. Um, And, like, no, I don't. I just have to know that he's out there feeling whatever he's feeling, and I don't get to know about it. And that's good. But it is a a detox is the feeling that I've been having. I was uh, sitting in a a small room in our house the other day, 
where I sometimes go maybe three times a day called the bathroom. And um, I was only three times a I don't, day. I, well, sometimes you drink some water. Sometimes you stand. Sometimes you sit. Like you're not on the phone when you're standing, Julia. This is the difference between boys and girls. Okay. Well, I mean, we're always on the phone. So um, <laughs> I was like, oh, the New York Times on my app has all these other sections. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, they have a really good arts and culture section. Huh. <laughs> Every day they have new stuff. <laughs> yeah, so my my best feeling recent recently was I um you know cuz during the pandemic I've been ordering books kind of at the same rate as I always do, but not like reading them. <laughs> <laughs> but not reading them. Yes, not reading them. And I got a book in the mail and I sat down as soon as I got it and I read 50 pages in one sitting. Oh, wow. Wow. And, I, and it, it made me so happy. And I realized, like, right, that's where I need to be putting my energies right now. Like, just getting back to that. It's okay. Like, uh, it's okay to take the time mm-hmm. and, like, do this. Like, I don't need to be riled up constantly. It's 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 really hard, guys. It's not, it's yeah. not easy. Well, you, you know what is, um, I mean, to make it all about myself here for a moment, as I so rarely do on the show. <laughs> so... Uh, you know, I've got a book coming out. Um, as listeners are listening to this, the book will already be out. But I have a book coming out in a week. And it feels kind of gross, like, during tumult to be promoting, you know? Like, to be like, hey, oh, my God, everyone's dying. Everything's horrible. But did you see this review I got? It's starred and it's boxed. Um, <laughs> and, like, this – so basically every day for the last two weeks I've done some kind of media, an interview or a podcast or I've written some piece or whatever. And I actually sort of, for the first time in four years, to be perfectly honest with you, feel like I can have frivolous thoughts when writing mm-hmm. and talking about a book that's coming out because I feel like, oh, there is a future ahead of us. Like, oh, there's a vaccine. There's a future ahead of us. At some point, the other side will be, um, you know, back when everyone was sick, not back when everyone was well. Um, and, you know, that... Um, that has allowed me to actually like be excited and happy that this book is coming out and I get to talk about it and, and meet people on zoom instead of meeting people in the real life, which is a fucking bummer. Um, but like it, it's really, really hard in other times, like to be able to talk about the things that are bringing you joy when, when there's so much suffering. I mean, in general, there's so much suffering, but when there's specific suffering every single day, um, on a, on a macro level, um, yeah. It's hard to do those things. So yeah. well, there's definitely still a lot of suffering. Yeah, there's a time, but it does feel like there are grown-ups in the room. Yes, God. Like maybe we have a government right now, like that. You know, just uh, yeah, it's it's mind-boggling I, that we, we, Joe Biden has gone through this pandemic Joe Biden the way is we super have. Calming, like he wasn't my pick from the start. I was Elizabeth Warren, um, and I've got the sign in my garage to prove it. Um, <laughs> But I got to tell you, man, like when he's out there and he's talking, I'm just like, oh, yeah, that's nice. <laughs> yeah, right there. That's a good spot. I'm like, I'm like when you find that spot on your dog and they just like, they, they become <laughs> totally incapacitated. That's how I am when Joe Biden's talking. Like, oh, yeah, right there. Yeah, 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 yeah. right there. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Go. So true. <laughs> Which is nice. And it opens up my mind to be able to actually like read a little short story. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's a nice segue. And think about it and, and ponder it. Well, it's funny. This this short story actually did kind of take me back in a way. This this, this I don't know how you guys feel, but but 
I haven't read a story that's sort of like this in a while. Yeah. I feel like the most of the short story. First of all, I haven't been reading short stories that much. Um, I've, I haven't been reading anything that much, <laughs> but 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 these kinds of short stories, this sort of like even-handed, very subtle, um, you know, like and short and. Um, uh, I, I, I mean, I guess it's in the Carver tradition in a way, you know, that sort of like, if, if you read it too fast, you might completely miss what's going exactly, on. Yeah. Uh, like I haven't read that kind of story in a long, this is like what I feel like when we were getting our MFA, this is what I was reading all the time was yeah. like this kind of short story. And maybe because that's what everyone writes in an MFA program, but, uh, it was also what we were reading or what we were being taught. And, um, I'm sure Todd, you can speak to this a lot because I'm sure you, you, you teach these kinds of stories all the time, but it was, it was actually really refreshing um, to read it, this kind of story again and be like, Oh, right. There's this calm, um, really uh, you have to lean into yeah. it, I guess, you know, you, you can't just like, you can't just let it happen to you. Well, you have to like really dive into the story. It's, it's, it requires close. It, re reading, it requires super close reading, but unlike um, Carver um, and I, and I get what you're saying. It's, I mean, it's a realist short story. But right. Carver and his ilk were um, were minimalists, and right. Shruti Swami is not. I mean, this is a story that is super layered. It's layered in colonialism. It's layered in sexism. Mm -hmm. It's layered in racism. Mm -hmm. it's, it's layered mm -hmm. in um, in uh, American class issues. All sorts of stuff in about thirty four hundred words. Yeah. Um, she does a really, uh, but but just like you said, if if you're not paying attention to this, you got to read every single line. Because every single line has a startling revelation. And the moment, I'm, uh, we should describe what, what it is, but the moment that I knew that I had to really pay attention when reading the story comes in the first paragraph. It's just a line I'm going to, to read. My son gazed up at the trees in wonder, still small enough to look slightly absurd, almost like a fish with the gaping mouth and eyes. But then he would move his head a little bit, wave his arms, and he would look suddenly startlingly human and i was like oh he is human <laughs> he is human so if the narrator of the story is looking at your child and thinking oh he looks startlingly human there's gonna be real fucking problems <laughs> in the story with this narrator and that's when i was i was in i was like oh let me let me go back the previous four lines and start reading this again because we're in the hands of a real, um, a real master. And so I was really interested. But also I was thinking about it in terms of the Russian stories we read with, yeah. with uh, George Saunders. And there's a, there's a little bit of an influence there, too, clearly. Um, because she's coming down that same tree that a lot of us learned on. Um, and so I, I'll be interested to hear about that. But yeah, um, I, it was great just to sit down and read a short story and really sort of think about things in the world as it relates to a closed ecosystem, like a, a story, a plotless story about a brief interaction. Yeah. So have we described exactly what happens? In no, we have yet? not. <laughs> Julia, would you like <laughs> to Not do a that? whole lot. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Julia, would you like to summarize? Sure. Um, a young mother of an eight-year-old and a baby um, She's hanging out and <laughs> she's hanging out. She, she notices she's going to raves. <laughs> you know, she's she has a complex relationship with her daughter, often at odds. Um, she is married, but we get no scenes with the husband awake. 
Uh, he's mentioned as sleeping. <laughs> uh, she notices that new neighbors have moved in next door. Um, then she observes them. The neighbors come by with cookies. Um, they have one of those really mundane conversations in a living room. And then um, their daughters play together in the neighbor's yard. Um, should I, I guess I'll do the big spoiler reveal. Um, listeners, this is your warning. You can go read the story if you want before I say the only major event that happens or doesn't happen in the story is the narrator tries to reveal uh, bruises on her neck to the new neighbor. The new neighbor doesn't even notice. And then um, the narrator's daughter trips and falls, humiliates herself, and runs home. The end. Did I get it all? Yeah, no, that's that. It's it's actually pretty remarkable how yeah. little happens in this story, and yet it's still pretty enthralling. Yeah. So. yeah. yeah. Well, and but you forgot yeah. to mention, Julia, that when the new neighbor comes over, the narr- with the cookies with the pale cookies, the narrator notices that the new neighbor has a black eye. Mm-hmm. Right. Which is important. Yes. Um, Very. Now. You know, as I was reading the story, I was thinking about you guys and about your kids and about how, like, your kids are always, like, running around and jumping on you and beating on you and all kinds of stuff. And that it must be tough with a kid, um, like, to explain away things like black eyes on you or a dislocated wrist or something. And, like, that was the, at first I was reading the story when the woman shows up at the door with a black eye. I was like, oh, God, her baby must have popped her one. And then as I kept reading, I was like, oh, you're an idiot. (laughs) <laughs> like that's probably not what happened mm-hmm. yeah I, yeah, I mean, read it as domestic abuse like uh, immediately me too um but then i do feel like that actually gets questionable later you know like because because there's also this this weird sequence where our narrator wakes up in the middle of the night to the sound of glass breaking and then she goes to the window and sees a blonde man in the street but then it's kind of like was that just a a dream like was he actually there it's a little so it's it's really i i feel like it's it's left a little open as to whether the other character the uh, louisa is that mm-hmm. her name or louis yeah louisa whether louisa the the white woman who moved in is actually experiencing a, abuse I, I think that is left a little open but either way you know our narrator is experiencing right. abuse and and wants to share you know wants to reach out for help essentially or recognition at least and doesn't get it um, which also feels wrapped up in uh, race and immigration mm-hmm. because we learned that our narrator is an immigrant still trying to get her, her citizenship from and from India. And uh, there's a very complicated series of conversations or not a series, a couple conversations with her daughter about how her daughter, you know, gets along in, in, in this world with other kids and, and the new neighbors and um, relates to her body and her hair yeah. There's a lot going on. There's, there's a lot. It's really there's good. a lot going on in a little space, and you know when you're reading. So it's also it's both an unreliable and a super reliable narrator at once. She tells you exactly what's happening, but she does it in subtext, which makes her a little bit unreliable um, because you don't know quite when she's lying and when she's not. Um, but all of the all of the clues that she gives you about um, her life. The way that the author has written it lends itself to the reader doing the exact same thing that the new neighbor does, which is ignore her. Right. Mm -hmm. And that is the absolute um, 
artistry of this short story. That's why when I read that line, he looks startlingly human. I was like, okay, this is one of these stories where you have to read every single, I mean, you should read every single line anyway, but let's be honest, we all skip. Um, <laughs> where you got to really pay attention to every single line because there is something nested, some darker truth nested in each line. And so there's a point very early on in the story um, when the neighbor does come to visit with the cookies and uh, the narrator reveals that no other neighbors ever come anymore. So there's yeah. a, a, the, she's like the person you avoid on the, in the neighborhood. There's also an interesting thing. They live in Eichlers. I don't know if the average reader knows what an Eichler is. Do you know an Eichler? I didn't know what that was. No. I mean, no. So Eichlers are these um, strange little modernist homes. They're all in the East Bay. Um, there's some, I guess, that are closer to San Francisco itself. But he was a modernist um, builder. Where I grew up in Walnut Creek, there's a whole neighborhood of Eichler homes, and they were built to be like the homes of the future. And in the 1970s and 1980s, they were these worthless houses because no one cared about modernist design. They have two front doors, which is interesting, because they have a front door and then they have a courtyard front door. Um, so it depends where you enter the house. I thought she might do something with that because it's you know a strange thing about displacement. She just said, oh, we live in Eichlers. But these, these uh, Eichler neighborhoods that used to be worth nothing in the 21st century when people became super interested in modernism, these homes you couldn't sell became worth millions and millions of dollars. Um, mm. And so it's an interesting sort of parallel to like what used to be valuable um, and then stopped being valuable and is valuable again, like the way someone's hair looks versus their mind, which is a conversation that the narrator has with her child. Um, the narrator feels bad because her child, her daughter, is a reader and she says as soon as my daughter began to become a reader i lost her to her mind and you're like oh shit like you want your child to read right don't isn't that like you want that right you too you guys you guys want your children to read <laughs> um but these you know that they live in these modernist homes and they're having sort of a 1950s conversation where everyone avoids the reality of the situation, I thought was a very deft bit of writing. And it could be that it's not even intentional on her part, but I saw it that way. Like, oh, you're living in a 1950s neighborhood, having a 1950s yeah. conversation with modernist, with actual modern people doing the same things they would have done in 1956. Ignore the Indian woman and the obvious bruises on her neck from being choked. Don't, don't, don't ask her any questions. She doesn't exist. She's not real. Um, and so I thought I was, I really appreciated that sort of subtlety. Um, but if you don't know what an Eichler home is, you're just going to skip right by it. So I feel like where a lot of the artistry came in for me and is going towards your reliability question, Todd, it's, I feel like this story did an incredible job of demonstrating how she internalized this abuse and is taking it out on her daughter and her judgments of the other woman. So like, and these things are so subtle, which is why they feel internalized. Like mm -hmm. she admits that she's like shocked that this woman has short hair. She is pressuring her daughter to please others with the way she looks and acts. And all of those are, you know, secondary, you know, like the waterfall cascading down of being controlled mm -hmm. and being abused. Um, whereas on the surface, it just looks like a normal nagging mom. Um, but we know that there's this like powerful force in their family. And it's funny, like the daughter is equated to the husband a few times. And, 
you know, I wonder if that line that you pulled out, Todd, is indicating, you know, when she started to read, you know, the narrator lost her ally, Mm -hmm. you know, her daughter, the only person that she's with. I mean, I want my daughter to read, but I also love how entwined we are right now. And there is this loss as they get further further from you and so yes she's completely isolated and then she's taking out these judgments that have clearly been you know given to her and she's taking them out on everyone around her right right and you know i i think um to go back to what we mentioned at the top of the show thinking about um the conversation we had about the russian short stories with george saunders where he talks about setting up expectations right Mm-hmm. That opening paragraph sets up that expectation for what the story is going to be about, this disassociation with her own self and with her own children, um, that she is somehow losing them, like losing the ability to recognize them as people anymore. And so throughout the story, the narrator constantly is reminding herself to basically act human around <laughs> around her children when in front of other people, which is such a, you know, a... a a startling bit of, of narrative. Um, but she also herself um, is going through a, you know, a, a change. So in the middle of the story, she's talking about how the, the new neighbor has short hair and how surprised she was that the neighbor had short hair, um, which, you know, seems like people have short hair periodically. Uh, and she said, <laughs> of course, I lost quite a bit of my hair after my two pregnancies, which my gynecologist told me is common. For a while, I thought my hair would grow back, but it never did. Then I began to comb it less frequently. Sometimes I forgot for days. I had remembered today because of the woman and her short hair, which had shocked me. So she's doing this strange mirroring thing now, too. Like, I forget to comb my hair until the beautiful girl moved in. And I want to be her. I want to have her face. I will wear her skin as a mask. (laughs) That'd be a Stephen Graham Jones. <laughs> I was going to say, then, I grew- <laughs> then it becomes a Stephen King story. Uh, so I, I uh, thought that was a, a yet another strange little turn where you start to realize nothing's quite what it seems. Uh, this is a sort of meta point, but I, I really couldn't read this online. I mm. had to print it out. I could not, and I. I, I guess that's a me problem. Like, I, I, but I, it was interesting. Like, I, I can't, I feel like I can read some, some stuff on, on screen, but for whatever reason, when I got to like the third paragraph of the story, I was like, nope, this is too, I need to like have this on paper and I need to be able to like turn a page. And uh, I don't know. I just found, I don't know. How did you guys feel? Did you read it online? You read it on, on screen? Yeah, I did. And it was totally Yeah, fun. I did. Yeah, yeah. I think for me, because, I often feel like that writer, um, but mm. the language is so straightforward. I don't know somehow that made it okay, mm-hmm. um, and it was short, of course. Right. But yeah, I get it. I mean, reading online is horrible. I think there are studies that you know you're not really reading the same way. Mm-hmm. We've probably talked about this before. Well, you don't remember it the same way, apparently. Like I think that's what I've I've heard at least. Yeah, and you don't, and you skim a little bit more. Which this, there's no point to skimming this. You'd be like. Wow, a random scene about nothing. Right. <laughs> yeah. But I guess that's like to me, you know, I guess what I was thinking about reading this story is in in general is 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 the subtlety, you know, like I I 
Mm-hmm. In so many ways, I, I love it. Like, I think that that is like the, the highest art form, right? To be able to be subtle. And then other times I'm like, who is this for? Like, you know, there's it's for really like the readers out there, right? Like people like us who want to lean in. And um, and I just I, I just get fascinated by this question of like, like literature that is maybe too subtle or um you know, I mean, this is not her fault at all as an author. And I don't, you know, I'm just curious about like how there's been so many great stories written about things like abuse and, 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 uh, colonialism and racism and sexism and all the stuff that's like packed into a story like this. And I just like, I want it to reach other people. (laughs) Like I want, like, how do you get stories like this out there? And how do we, how do we get people to start reading stories closer you know like how because we're all like man this is speaking for myself like i am so used to not reading these kinds of stories anymore like now and this is going back to what i was saying earlier about wanting those trump stories to give me that look like i'm so worried that my brain is getting like attenuated to like spikes and like that you know i want my entertainment to be as flashy as possible or as extreme as possible and when i read something like this i'm just reminded of like oh right And, and the russian masters that we were reading in the George Saunders thing, I'm like, right, subtlety and and slower mm-hmm. paced and like having to lean in is so important. And I just want to like spread that message somehow. And I don't, you know, we have to keep talking about that because I'm losing it in myself. And here I am, a 41-year-old, very experienced reader who loves these kinds of things. And yet I can't read it on a screen. I have to print it out. And I don't know, like I said, maybe that's just me. But Well, um, I mean, you're, you're talking about... Um... I mean, we talked about this years ago, actually, about, you know, the short story is fine art, basically, and mm-hmm. and how, you know, you don't look at um, Picasso's every single day of your life, but when you see one, you really appreciate it. Um, but they, most of the Picasso's, to really appreciate, you got to be up in front of it inside of a museum. And so right. the odds, writer, of you stumbling on this short story inside electric literature on a summer day in July when it first appeared is almost zero, you know? Like, you, you got to want to be looking for it. Um, but that being said, you know, there's plenty of people that are reading these stories. Um, you know, her, her book was was widely hailed. She publishes in all the interesting and good places. But the fact of the matter is, is that the short story is still, um, you know, way down low on the list of things that most people read on a regular basis. The short story mm-hmm. and poetry are, are probably about, about the same. But, you know, sort of interestingly enough, when um, when I was working on my new book and we were deciding what to call it and all this stuff, I had a conversation with my editor and I was like, hey, look, we need to put something on the cover that lets people know that this isn't a sad book of short stories about people staring into the middle distance. like Because you were afraid that that would mean no one Because I was afraid it. no one would buy it. Yeah, which is the yeah. reality. Right. So I was yeah. like, we need to put on the front cover something that says, like, this is some gangster shit basically, Mm -hmm. Um, or else no one's going to pick this book up. They're just going to think it's sad stories about people in a desert. And so now on the cover, it says gangster stories. Mm -hmm. And like that, that tells the reader, oh, these are going to be plot heavy, action filled stories, um, you know, with with lots of violence and stuff in it. Now, that being said, there's plenty of stories that are in that book. They're just people sitting quietly and thinking about the ways they fucked up their lives. Um, But in order to actually get someone to pick up the fucking book and buy it, I felt like, well, I need to distinguish myself from, you know, the the Paris Review short stories and let people know this is not that kind of thing. Um, 
so you know part of it is a is a marketing thing like how do you how do you get great literature to the people that really want it particularly now when people aren't walking into a bookstore and there's not a table full of curated stuff you got to find this stuff on your own for another you know few months at least um and i i don't think anyone has a solid answer for it you run an excerpt in electric literature and hope that it yeah hope yeah. that it goes viral i mean electric lit's a very popular website you can see you know Couple yeah. million hits a, well, a, I, a month. I also like they also have that intro because mm-hmm. it was a selection from another author right. sort of introducing it, mm-hmm. which you know I skip stuff like that because mm-hmm. I, well in this case I knew I was going to read the story right. anyway, so I read it after. But it's really nice to have somebody be like read this story for this reason. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like here's you know big. I mean era. it's I think we need it's what that. we're doing. I don't know if you're aware of it. But <laughs> yes, I know. Well, but you know I just, I just want sorry Julia, but I just yeah, want to jump okay. in on what Todd was saying. Like that's what I love about bookstores, right? And that's what I feel like is getting lost is that yes. we don't have that space. Libraries and bookstores are that. That space where you walk in as a especially as a kid but certainly as any any age you walk in and you're like what should i read and somebody behind the counter is well read and has taste and can listen to what you have to say and, and just be a human saying check this out because that's changed my life you know mm-hmm. or even just putting you know the, the the there's always that rack in independent bookstores it's not Barnes and Noble, where it's not paid for by the publisher, but it's, uh, you know, the, the employee selection, you know, a staff picks. Exactly. Like that is, I, I can't tell you how many great books I never would have found if they weren't for staff picks. And like, I just, I'm so worried about this vanishing culture. Anyway, sorry. Oh no, I think, I mean, first of all, I've mentioned this years ago, so newer listeners probably didn't hear this, but there was an entire year where every single thing I read, I when I was living in New York, I walked into Three Lives and Company, which is a tiny, famous bookstore, and I just had the same staff member give me a new book like once a week. <laughs> it was the best year of reading of my entire life, and I'm still friends with her. <laughs> so, so cool. Um, but what I was going to say, Ryder, is like I do think you're poking at something even bigger, um, which is, you know, we're becoming – and this goes back to the tr- the Trump stuff – you know, less and less comfortable with reading something if we don't know ahead of time how it's going to make us feel. Right. You know, like we want to know, like, is this a sad one? Is this something with a message? Is this like, I need to laugh. I Find me something that's going to make me laugh. Um, and this permeates all genres. I mean, like essays about parenting, which, by the way, this is also a short story about parenting, mm-hmm. um, which we haven't talked about at all. But like there's this also voice I you guys to read. <laughs> yeah. I, I've been thinking about this a lot. There's like this voice in what I will call like online mommy essays that it's like this ubiquitous voice that they all share. And even though they're like dealing with really heavy or important issues, like it always comes back to like, but it's all good because I love my kid or I learned this <laughs> lesson. Um and that impulse is very human, um, but it is it has become one voice, whereas to like put an essay or a short story out that's just like, yes, here, here's how it is. And uh, honestly, even like, here's how it is. That's too direct of a message. Yeah, I mean, you know, you like this when, is what parenting is like is is not a great message. Do you remember either. when this is just one singular character story? Do you remember when I let Waldman put out that essay about parenting i let waldman uh, who's uh, also married to michael shabon and she wrote an essay where she was like oh, i love my okay. husband more than i love my children that's just how yeah, it is and, people went crazy. And, it, and it was like go get her <laughs> yeah <laughs> so i th- yeah i think there's a real hesitancy like even if people want to be honest about that stuff they're like well i could write it or i can have a happy life <laughs> 
hundred percent. But there's so much of this writing out there. Like when people cross into the parenthood threshold, it's like the truth. I have to write about it. I have to, you know, express myself in this way. And I completely admire that impulse. And I write about parenting and I like writing about parenting. But it's very hard not to fall into this weird churning like conversation that's always on. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but this is a short story that is about parenting, but it's there's there's a real obvious darkness to it. And so I was kind of curious from both of your perspectives. I don't I'm not a parent, but I I had one Um, (laughs) in the same neighborhood as where this is taking place. What? Well, I think how it felt for you guys. Honestly, (laughs) maybe this is really messed up. (laughs) I thought this was pretty accurate. Like the feeling of, you know, I'm disconnected to these people, but I'm also these little people, but I'm also like very frustrated with them. And why won't they just do what I say? Um, And like watching them sleep and all of that is just right on. Like if the domestic abuse was not in the story, this would be like just everyday loneliness like the disconnection and the loneliness of being a parent alone all day with your kids is present here in a way that i think a lot of parents would recognize and connect with i really um i you know probably because my son is right at the age he's he's six and um i really connected to trying to communicate about uh presentation socially and (laughs) self-confidence do you know what i mean like that is so tough because it's like you know i'm getting to the point where like i'm like like indy should not be wearing sweatpants every day like can we dress him up a little nicer (laughs) you know and it's like but no he wants to be comfortable and it's like yeah okay well he wants to be comfortable who gives a crap you know and so you know obviously in this story it is so much more fraught because it's about her hair and i think you know it's it's got a lot of ethnic, uh, overtones and undertones. It's just, it's shot through, but I, you know, I have had conversations with parents where, I mean, I've watched a parent say something about her son that seemingly as innocuous in front of her son is he doesn't have a strong forehead and, <laughs> and you know, and I've just been horrified because it's like, you can't say crap like that. Like, no, you know, but it is a delicate balance because you're, you know, you, you like, we all want our kids to be, these sort of perfect, confident, like dream versions of ourselves. And then they go out in the world and they're not. They're they're maybe social messes. They're too whiny. They're 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 a bully or they're being bullied. You know, and it's it's really an intense experience that I'm trying to contend with because like, you know, I think we all have like rose-colored lenses about our own childhood, or at least maybe I do, where I'm just like, well, I was always a happy kid and I was super confident. And I was like, no, I wasn't. Like, I, you know, but I watch my son start starting to interact and starting to develop his own personality. And it's just, there's so much tension there. And I thought the story, you know, figured, like, got, got to that really, really well. And then, like I said, also brings in this, you know, these questions of like, you know, ethnic identity, which... Like, man, the amount of, like, the amount of uh, literature and film and stuff uh, that I've encountered, I think we all are starting to encounter more and more, about hair Mm -hmm. as a sort of central Mm -hmm. issue is really interesting. And and I think it's so true. Like, I think that... uh, 
a big part of white supremacy has been hair suppression. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, Absolutely. it's, re- it's I, you know, and I first encountered it when I started dating my wife, who has very, very ethnic hair. You know, she's she's Puerto Rican, but you know, we 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 did the genetic tests relatively recently, and she's twenty five percent African. She has very African tight, thick hair, and she always hated her hair, and it's always been a thing. It's like my hair, my fucking hair, you know, and uh, you know, part of that is being an actor. And always going on to these shows where she's the only non-white person on the show. And the hair people, as nice as they are, are always like, ugh, your hair. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's only been relatively recently. Like, you know, right now she's on a show called All American, which is a predominantly black show. And she shows up and the hairdresser is like, I know what to do with your hair. <laughs> and she's like, thank God. And she's finally starting to not feel bad, mm-hmm. you know, and, and not feel like this, you know, internalized thing about her freaking hair and it's like yeah you shouldn't feel bad it's your hair you know but whatever and you know and i just it's yeah it's 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 an issue that keeps coming up um god there was there was a great uh horror film and i'm forgetting the name of it right now that i saw at sundance last year uh well you think of that i'm going to recommend an essay and i'll I'll put a link up to it up on our our twitter susan Strait, the wonderful author susan Strait, she has biracial children and she wrote a beautiful essay several years ago about their hair and about doing their hair and about learning how to handle their hair. Uh, and it's just yep. absolutely stunning. And it, it, it talks actually a lot about the stuff Ryder just talked about, but also stuff that's in the story and about um, hair as an expression of, of personal identity, but also its connection to um, a larger and more profound uh, history. So I'll, I'll, I'll find that and I'll put it up on our Twitter. You guys can go look for it when you're done listening to this episode. So I couldn't remember the name because it's very obvious. It's a movie called Bad Hair. <laughs> I, it was, it's awesome. It's it's so fun. It's basically like a horror comedy, like a really over-the-top horror comedy about a woman who gets a possessed weave. <laughs> a, a black woman gets a, and it's just all about this. But it's, you know, it's it, uh, it's Justin Simeon who who created uh, Dear White People. And, you know, it, it's very much, it, I, I'm assuming it's out and available now. I saw it at Sundance last year and my, my last big journey you know out in the world before pandemic hit <laughs> and it was one of the funnest movies i saw there um but it finds a way you know a, 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 a via like the same avenue of as like get out you know to address mm-hmm. this in a very over the top fun uh, it's not as good of a movie as get out but it's still a very fun movie but it you know i just feel like the the issue of hair especially in the black community is so it's it's such an interesting way into these issues and anyway this story I thought, you know, even in just a couple, there's only like, it's what, like three paragraphs about it, but it really resonated on the same level. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's huge. Yeah. It's, it's identity. Huge. And, you know, when we have, when we say things, well, when people go into like battle with hair or battle with um, pieces of your body that are just natural and normal Mm -hmm. you know like therefore begins the self-loathing right (laughs) um god yes you know from your mother i think the most important thing anyone said to me right before i had vega was like a friend just mentioned offhand like oh what you say will become her internal monologue for the rest of her life and i was like it blew my mind and i think about it all the time and now that she's talking in like paragraphs, she just says fucking everything I say, <laughs> you know, so, you know, 
is yeah. we think like we need to teach our kids in a certain way. Say like you are beautiful, you are smart, whatever. But instead, we have to speak kindly about ourselves mm-hmm. or just mm-hmm. zip your fucking lip. Um, <laughs> speaking to the women here, <laughs> like don't ever say like I'm fat or I hate this, I hate that about yourself. Um, because that's what they're going to do, you know, and like breaking that cycle of self-loathing or humiliation and anger is, is all in this story in this really real little way. Um, like the last scene of this story. Um, yeah, yeah. It ends on that. Yeah. It ends on, seems to be kind of where it ends on humiliation on, on simple humiliation thing that happens to to kids all the time. They trip and they fall. Like, right. I do that. I do that on a regular basis now. Um, (laughs) <laughs> but she, so um the narrator's daughter um tells her oh the neighbor's kids are all running around in the sprinklers in the front yard can i go and so she walks her daughter down and they are running around in the sprinklers and the daughter trips and falls and lands face first and it's like the most humiliating thing that's ever happened to the mother is that her daughter right. fell it's not humiliating right. for the daughters, humiliating for the mother. Um, and it, it reminds Oh, it's humiliating for both. Well, it's of them, humiliating for both, but you know, in the course of a human life it won't be the worst thing. Um, I, but I was reminded of I don't know if you guys ever watched that TV show Designing Women. I have a weird love for designing women. I don't know why. <laughs> but there was an episode where um, one of the characters says, What's the most embarrassing thing that ever happened to you? And she said, When my sister walked out on the runway with toilet paper stuck to herself. <laughs> it's like <laughs> the most embarrassing thing that ever happened to you is something bad that happened to your sister. <laughs> yeah, but I, I I do think that like the the, the point is that like the daughter might not ever remember this right. moment but it builds a foundation a story yeah. right it's building a foundation of i am not right i do not fit in i am not as mm-hmm. cool and suave and pretty and in control as the white girls down the street who are you know masters of their own domain and have no problems and i also like in that scene my favorite part is when her daughter says, I like cats. Yes. yes, and, yes. And, then, and then the narrator says, she's allergic to them <laughs> yeah. and dates them. And you're like, oh, right. You know, and I, I've definitely like, I've seen my son do things yeah. like yeah. that. Or say things like that where you're like, that's not true. But then I'm like, I'm not going to correct. That. No. Like, yeah. Let's just let this one go as he navigates the world socially and has to build a sort of narrative of self that is experimental and is going to fall on his face and get up and hopefully, you know, not internalize to the extent that I'm, I'm afraid this this narrator's daughter might actually internalize yeah. it. But you're always, as a parent, you're always like, oh my god, I mean, this is so ridiculous. But my son is was part of a little kid rock band music class <laughs> where it's it's less about the music than it is about learning to like be a part of a band right. and like they all they all learn one song over the course of you know several months and then they do a show like a full-on rock show oh it's amazing (laughs) and it was so cool like you know we had friends who had done it with their kids who were slightly older whatever so we found out about it and put my son into it and then um you know he loved it he was three three and a half at the time so it's really young to be you know but they get up on stage and they all he was the keyboard so he has like the three notes he's supposed to play and, uh, you know, all the, during the, the, he had been so into it, like throughout all the rehearsals, cause rehearsals was just the six kids get it together and learning about like tempo and volume. And these are the notes you hit on the guitar or this is the, you know, and, and a lot of the kids just wanted to sing, but my son wanted to play the piano and oh my God, when it came time for the rock show, which was at a, 
like an actual rock venue down the street from our house in our neighborhood, which is pretty, it's a, it's a real so club. much it's pressure. Cool. I feel very tense. <laughs> I, I couldn't, I, my wife was out of town. She had to work. So I was alone. Uh, luckily like my brother and some friends came to support me, not my son supported me <laughs> because I was a wreck. <laughs> I was a wreck. I was so nervous for him. And, you know, and like, I've since like been, been much better, like at other sort of kid performance, singing, dancing events that he's been a part of. But this was the first one at like three and a half. And I just lost my shit. I was so, and it's like one of these things I've had to learn is just like, okay, he's got to, you know, let his pressure be his own pressure and let him, because I don't, you know, I can't put my own stuff on him. And this is something my wife and I talk about all the time. It's like, all right, how much of how much of what we're putting on him is our issues, and how much of them are, you know, just going to be his, his his and like let, finding that balance. And you never will, right. right? I mean, we all fuck up our kids to some extent in some way, but uh, we just constantly have to be calling each other out on like, I think that's about you, <laughs> not about Indy, and like, that's a constant discussion. And I know it's only going to get worse as he gets older. You well. should absolutely give Alex the short story and have her read it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I should. This could be you. Well, since I printed it out, it's very easy to walk in the next room and hand it to Read her. this. This is about you. Read this. <laughs> oh, my God. I know. Let me tell you about your hair issues. Yeah, I'm sure she, she needs that, right? Oh, oh God. God. The So the last thing I just want to say about the story is um, I, just, uh, I just love that it's a quiet, risky short story that actually had me turning the page thinking there might be something more. And I mm-hmm. love a short story that ends in the, on an ellipses and not on a period. And this is a story where you're like, oh my God, what's going to happen next? Um, but you know what's going to happen next. You know what you know what these people's lives are going to look like. And I just love that. I mean, that that's what the best short fiction for me has always done is give me a peek into someone else's life and make me worry about them like they're real people afterward and it's uh it's a really unique skill that um that the author shruti swami has to do it in a story that is like i said largely plotless Mm -hmm. nothing happens in the story and it's super powerful but everything but everything happens it's super powerful (laughs) and i really can't wait to read um her collection you know i i feel bad because i never heard of her prior to this moment and then I was like, well, God, the, sh- the story collection got great reviews and it's got a great title and a great cover. Why didn't I hear about it? Oh, it came out in July of 2020 when, oh, the, yeah, when, when, when the world was on fire and the world is still on fire. But the, like, this is what I was talking about before. Like, man, th- there's, there was a whole year where we just missed a lot of culture, um, even yeah. though we had the ability to consume as much as we wanted, it turns out. But I, I was actually sort of reminded of um, uh, what's her name, um, Carmen Machado's short story collection. Yeah, Carmen Marie Machado's, oh, yeah. you know, yeah. very similar kind of story. Um, well, I mean, she was writing fairy tales in a way, but um, the power in which she writes, I was, uh, I was. Well, even the title "House Is a Body" is also reminiscent of the mm-hmm. way that she, you know, used the fem- fe- you know, using the female body as a sort of entry point for stories. Um, yeah, really. Really cool. Yeah, I mean, I, I just think she's literary a, discos. Oh, oh, never mind. That, I thought that was my cue. <laughs> Whatever. I was just gonna heap praise on you. Sorry, Shruti. Writer's done. <laughs> <laughs> nope, I'm it. Go nope. for it, Todd. What were you gonna say? Nah, I have anything to say. She's great. Buy her book. Buy her book. 
Uh, find it at an independent bookstore if you can. <laughs> Literary Disco is produced and edited by Justin Alvarez for Lit Hub Radio. You can reach out to us directly on Twitter at Literary Disco. Happy reading, everybody. Thanks for listening. <laughs>